do not love the world or the things in the world. The world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. Throughout John's letter, he challenges us to examine ourselves based on our behavior because our behavior reveals our heart posture. This morning's passage was written so that we may examine our heart towards others. And so John's first point that he wants to make, we are to love one another. We are to love one another. Verse 11, he says, for this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. John says, from the beginning. This is the message you have heard from the beginning. When John talks about the beginning, he is pointing us back to the words of Jesus. And so the first thing that John wants us to know and he wants to remind believers and teach unbelievers is that these words are not from him. These words are not from him. These teachings, these commands, these, this standard of love is straight from the heart and the mind and the mouth of Jesus Christ. And so he's letting us know before I say anything else, before I teach anything else, I am just the messenger who firmly believes in the message. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning. And so not only does John want us to know that Jesus is the source of his teaching, but Jesus is the source of love. When John starts this again, he says, he used the word beginning in reference to Jesus. So Jesus is the beginning. He is the root. He is the source of love. And so anything that is love outside of him is not love. We cannot love one another biblically outside of Christ because this word love in this passage is not a word of romance as we would often use. It's not a word of brotherly love, but it's a word that comes from the Greek word agape. Agape love, it's a word that consists of commitment and long suffering. It's a word of benevolence and selflessness. This is why Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 verses 4 through 7, He says, love is patient and kind. He says, love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. This is the love of God that dwells in the heart of a true Believer, we are commanded to love one another from the heart. Which brings me to the next point. God looks at the heart. God looks at the heart. Verse 12, we should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. God looks at the heart. But before I dive into that point, I want to just do a quick recap. So again, first thing John wanted us to know this morning's passage is recognizing the need for Christ so that we can love one another because Jesus is the beginning. He is the root. He is the source of love. So John is telling us based on that fact in, in, in verse 12 that those who are not in Christ are not only of the world, but they are of the evil one 
Satan. I said a couple weeks ago who Satan is. Satan is an evil spirit who once served in heaven as an angel. But out of his arrogance, he rebelled against God and was kicked out faster than lightning, according to the words of Jesus, along with one third of heaven's angels who followed him in rebellion. And so now that he's banned and now that he's kicked out, he seeks revenge against God. But because he knows he'll never defeat God, he'll never truly get back at God, he attacks what God loves, and that's his creation. The one thing that you and I have in common, the one thing that every human has, whether you are a believer in Christ or an unbeliever, is that we are made in the image of God, according to Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. We are all made in God's image. And so Satan believes that the closest way he can get revenge against God is by attacking God's Creation. So how does he do this? How does he attack us? He attacks us through the three desires of man, according to 1 John chapter 2, verse 16. The three desires, 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, for all that is in the world. He gives a dash, he explains what the world has to offer. The desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, it is not from the Father, but is from the world. The desires of the flesh, doing what makes me happy, even if it causes someone else to struggle. The desires of the eye, falling into external temptation to please the flesh. The pride of life, taking and making time to boast in our accomplishments, even if it makes someone else feel belittled. This is the world's view of love. The world's view of love is completely based on self satisfaction. And so those who are devoted to self, according to this scripture, are devoted to the evil one, Satan. It's the self-satisfaction, it's, it's the heartbeat of this world's motivation to succeed and thrive. The heart of an unbeliever is hostile towards God. It's hostile towards God in anything that is placed above its desires. And so in the eyes of God, that's why anyone whose heart is not focused on Christ, their good deeds don't matter. Because their deeds are not revolved around God receiving glory and the name of Jesus being exalted. And so this is why John immediately refers to Cain as an example when it comes to hate. Let's return back to the text. John, 1 John 3, 12. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's Righteous. So John immediately uses Cain as an example because Cain was someone with an empty profession of faith. An empty profession of faith. You can find the story in Genesis chapter 4. We're going to go ahead there. Genesis chapter 4, we're going to read a few verses. Genesis chapter 4, starting at verse 1. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. And in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock and the fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? 
And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is contrary to you. But you must rule over it. So again, John uses Cain as an example because Cain was someone with an empty profession of faith. He says that Cain was of the evil one. Cain was of the devil. But the crazy thing about Cain is Cain grew up in church. Cain grew up in church. Their their services may not have been set up like this, but that was their form of church. He was the son of Adam and Eve, so we know he grew up in a godly home. I didn't say a perfect home, because we know who his parents are. You look at the news and we see his parents were not perfect. But I believe he grew up in a godly home where they taught him the things of God. He was taught how to serve in church. He was taught how to dwell in church, how to grow in church. He was required by God to make sacrifices along with Abel of blood from animals. Why? Because blood is pumped from the heart. Blood is pumped from the heart. If the heart is pure, the blood is pure. If the heart is contaminated, the blood is contaminated. Why is this important? Because in Genesis chapter 3, Sin came into the world through the rebellion of human beings, not animals, not lambs, not sheep. So in the eyes of God, the animals were innocent. So when the innocent animals were killed, the innocent blood was shed in place of those that were guilty. Cain was a farmer, Abel tended to the sheep. One thing that I want to note, male sheep, also known as rams, they sense when harm is approaching. Rams resist and they fight against the danger. So that means that sacrificing animals wasn't always easy for Abel. It wasn't wasn't easy. That means Abel had to wrestle and Abel had to fight. And there were times where Abel had to hold the animal down. I can imagine Abel being kicked Abel being attacked. I'm sure there were days where he was bruised from the fighting and the resistance. And by the time Abel got to the altar, he was bloody. He was sweaty. He was bruised. He was tired. He was worn out because of everything that it took for him to get to that point. But Abel still made the sacrifice because he believed that walking with God is worth the pain of this world. He made the sacrifice, even in pain. Again, Genesis 3 verses, I mean, Genesis 4 verses 3 and 4. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And his Abel, and Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock in their fat portions. Abel came to the Lord with this sacrifice, tired, worn out, bruised, bloody, but he came to God in obedience because his heart posture was to put God first at any cost. How many of us can say that? How how many of us can say that we will put God first at any cost, if it costs friendships, if it costs relationships, even if it costs our job? Will we put God first at any cost? That's the heart of Abel. Abel goes to the altar, sweaty, bloody, tired, worn out. And then here comes Cain. Cain shows up to the place of sacrifice, 
the place of pain, the place of hurt, the place of sacrifice. Cain shows up with edible arrangements. Cain shows up with a veggie tray. And was worse, I'm sure he didn't have ranch. At least come with ranch. That is not what God required. So what we're seeing, what we're seeing in Genesis 4, what we're seeing is Cain trying to find a way around God's will to to satisfy his desires. Cain is looking for a way to give an offering to God within the boundaries of his convenience. The Bible says that Cain was a farmer, Abel was a shepherd. And so that means that there's a possibility that Cain wasn't familiar with tending the sheep. He wasn't familiar with taking care of sheep. But sometimes, sometimes obedience to God requires a shifting in gears. Sometimes we'll have to do things and serve in areas that we don't prefer. Sometimes when we're obedient to God, we'll have to work with people that we're not fond of. Sometimes serving God will put us in a place of discomfort. Cain had to stop and he had to step out of his comfort zone to serve in an area that he was not familiar with, but he refused. He refused because his heart was focused on his fleshly desires. He brought a salad, he brought a veggie tray to the altar. And it was a nice gesture. It seemed like a very nice gesture, but it wasn't obedient. It was not Obedient. God looks at the heart. We see celebrities now, they give millions and millions and millions of dollars to all of these organizations, but if it's not for the glory of God and their heart posture is not toward Christ, they will stand before God and he will say, I never knew you. But I gave, I did all this stuff, I gave, I served in church, I did all this, but I didn't know you. God looks at The heart. The believer and the unbeliever, they have two different heart postures, which ultimately reveal their view of love. The next point, love is the character trait of a believer. Love is the character trait of a believer. 1 John chapter 3, verses 14 through 18, it says, We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And we know, and you know, that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone, has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or in talk, but in deed and truth. I'm going to focus on verse 16. He says, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. We ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. That requires humility. It requires humility. Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3, a few verses, he says, 
Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. He says in verse 5, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. True Christians seek to put the needs of others above their own. True Christians seek to put God's will above their own because true Christians love God. Paul tells us to have this mind among ourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus. So true Christians see life in this world through the lens of Christ. In other words, the heart of a Christian says, what would Jesus do? Y'all remember that? What would Jesus do? How would Jesus handle this person? At my job, in my ministry, at home. A Christian loves Jesus and seeks to live like Jesus. And so because we love Jesus, we should love others. The same way Jesus loves. Again, this word love is a word of commitment. Loving beyond flaws. Loving beyond shortcomings. Which means love, according to this text, is not always displayed through a hug and a handshake. Sometimes it's in the form of correction. Not always a congratulatory word of encouragement or praise, but it's discipline or correction. Sometimes encouragement can come in the form of rebuke. Because if we love each other, then we should come to each other, not only to congratulate one another, but to correct one another. Because if you love me, you should tell me when I'm wrong. Tell me when I'm wrong. Tell me when I'm not doing things that line up with scripture. You know, your love is actually questioned. When you sit and watch me sin, but say I love you. I question that. My love is questioned. If I say I love you and watch you sin, but don't say anything. We're supposed to come at each other, come to each other. Not openly. Pull me to the side. Pull me to the side. Talk to me and say, look, I, I saw what you did. I'm not sure that lines up. You want to you talk about that? You know, let's not do that out in the open during church service or a meeting or something. That's embarrassing. You know, but pull me to the side. Let's talk. That's what Christians do. We're supposed to live this life out together because if you're in Christ and I'm in Christ, we're, we're family. We're supposed to do this thing together. We're supposed to bear one another's burdens. We're supposed to mourn and rejoice together. We're supposed to support one another, cheer each other on, forgive one another. That's what true believers do. So both believers and unbelievers, they have character traits. Love is the character trait of the unbeliever. My next point, hate is the character trait of a non-believer. Hate is the character trait of a non-believer. 1 John 3 
verses 12 through 15, again, we should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know, murder, a murderer has eternal life or has, has no eternal life abiding in them. Again, this word consists of commitment, long-suffering. It's a word of benevolence, selflessness. This is the posture that Abel had, but not Cain. Cain gave out of convenience, but not obedience. You know what that tells me? That tells me that all offerings are not sacrificial. All offerings are not sacrificial. Just because we give doesn't mean it's sacrificial. And, I, and I'm not just talking about dropping your money in the basket. But I'm talking about your time. Giving your time. Giving up your desires to put someone else first. We serve God by serving others. And so serving may require sacrifice, to sacrifice time to spend with those we disciple and pour into, to sacrifice even if we have to sacrifice eating certain foods that hinder our health, which ultimately hinder us from serving one another and preaching the gospel. Sometimes serving God requires putting certain desires aside so we can spend time with our family. Serving God requires sacrifice. This is something the world doesn't understand. Something the world doesn't understand. They, they love and they see love based on preference. The world sees love based on that they, they pick and choose who they love and who they hate, how they love, how they hate, when they love, when they hate. According to the world, love is based on what feels right to us. What, what, what feels right to us. We love people that serve us and cater to us and have what we desire, whether that be fame or money or fortune or popularity. Love is based, according to the world, on dependence of worldly possessions based on those three desires we talked about earlier. The love, the desires of the eyes, the desires of the flesh, the pride of life. These desires, this is how Satan attacks God's creation. By causing the world to focus on pleasing self. The world's view of love is completely on self-satisfaction. And this was the heart of Cain. That's why he hated Abel. This tells us that sin makes us feel entitled. It makes us feel entitled. It makes us feel like we're owed something. Cain wanted to do things God's way. You notice when he didn't do the offering right, God came to him and said, why are you angry? Why is your face falling? God rejected his offering and Cain was angry. God told him how to do it. He didn't do it. God rejected it and he was mad. That's why God said, why are you angry? Why is your face falling? You're the one that disobeyed me. What's wrong with you? Because we feel entitled. Sin makes us feel entitled. Cain wanted to do things his way. And because God wouldn't revolve around Cain's desires, Cain hated God. 
That's why John says in verse 13, he says, don't be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we pass into death or pass out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. So the world hates us because they hate God. They hate God. Romans 8, 7. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Hostile people kill. Hostile people murder. That's why Cain did what he did. It tells us that God accepted Abel's but not Cain's. Unbelievers are hostile to God. And so again, they know they can't defeat God. They know they can't get revenge against God. So they attack God's creation. They attack God's people. Who does that sound like? It sounds like Satan. This is why John says that Cain was of the evil one. Cain was hostile towards God. He was hostile towards his brother and he killed him. He killed him. Cain hated God, so he hated his brother. Something else I want to point out. Unbelievers hate with no remorse. They hate with no remorse, which means they murder with no remorse. Because John said whoever hates is a murderer. They hate with no remorse. Genesis 4, 8 and 9. Cain spoke to his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then God said to Cain, where is your brother? He said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? In other words, what does that situation have to do with me? What does that have to what do you, why are you coming to me about if you like him so much, go talk to him? That's what Cain is saying. That, that's what Cain says to God. Cain just took the life of his brother. He just took the life of his brother with no remorse. So that means if Cain could do it again, he would. If he could do it again, he would because those who are of the world are of the evil one and abide in death. They walk in death. They grow in the things that lead to eternal damnation. The world is only concerned about putting themselves first. But serving God requires sacrifice. My next point, love is sacrificial. Love is sacrificial. Verses 16. By this, we know that he laid down his life. And we know that we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brothers in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children. Let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this, we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. I can't say it enough. This word love is a word of selflessness. But it's also a word of humility, a word of servitude. We serve a selfless and humble 
God. He is holy. He is righteous. He is a God who made us in his image. He made us in his likeness. But out of arrogance, we rebelled against him, putting our desires first. We sought to serve ourselves by pleasing our flesh. But this act of rebellion, it brought sin into the world and it separated us from a sinless God and it put us in the place to deserve nothing. Remember, we feel entitled, but I'll tell you what we deserve. We deserve his wrath. We deserve nothing but his wrath. According to Romans, all of us have sinned and all of us are come short and all of us are hostile. We were hostile to God. But while we were in a sinful and rebellious state, God still loved us. That's love. He still loved us. That's agape love. He still loved us. And John says God loved the world so much that he gave a sacrifice. He loved the world so much that he gave a sacrifice because love is sacrificial. I only got one amen and it's from a baby. Love is sacrificial. The Bible says that Adam and Eve rebelled against God in Genesis 3. They rebelled against God. They sinned against God. But when you read the bottom of Genesis 3, Genesis 3.21, it says that God made for Adam and Eve garments of skins and clothed them, which implies that God sacrificed an innocent animal and used its skin to cover Adam and Eve in innocence because they were guilty. And so from that day forward, from that day forward, God required sacrifice of innocent blood, innocent life to cover the sins of those that were guilty. And so for generations, sacrifices were made to God. They sacrificed rams and they sacrificed bulls and oxen. They made sacrifices to God. But remember, remember, animals sense when danger is approaching. Animals sense when they're in danger. They, those that made sacrifice, they had to wrestle the animal down. They had to hold the animal down. There was bloodshed, not only from the animals, but even from the humans because the humans were kicked and they were attacked. They might have been even bitten. They had to wrestle. They made these sacrifices with bruises and scars. People came to the altar bloody and sweaty from their service to the Lord. But God loved us that he made a sacrifice. And this sacrifice, born of a virgin, this sacrifice tempted at all points, tempted to pursue the desires of the flesh. He was tempted to boast in himself, but he made himself of no reputation. He was tempted, but remained sinless, sacrificing his fleshly desires for the will of the Father. And because his life was so sinless, he served as a sacrifice for our sins. But this sacrifice, better than all the other sacrifices before him, because he was led to a hill of death to be executed, a hill that served as a spiritual altar to be sacrificed. He was led to a place sensing the harm that would come to his physical body, knowing the attack that would come to his physical body. But unlike the other sacrifices, this sacrifice went to the altar without kicking. This sacrifice went to the altar without fighting. This, altar went, this sacrifice went to the altar without any resistance. This must be why he says in John 10, 18, no one takes 
my life from me. But I lay it down on my accord. Laid down his life. Laid on the altar. The spiritual altar. Laid on the cross. And was sacrificed for our sins. By taking the punishment of the father that we deserved. And after enduring the pain for hours. You know some of those animals died slow. They didn't die immediately. This sacrifice hung for hours and died a slow death. Taking the penalty of our sin on the cross. Because he is our sacrifice. Jesus died on the cross for our sins because he is our sacrifice. The love of the Father ultimately displayed through the sacrificial life and death of Jesus Christ. He died on the cross for our sins. He was buried. But one thing I love about Jesus is he understood love. Jesus says one thing and he's going to live it out. So if Jesus says, I love you, he's going to carry it out through action. Jesus says, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down on my accord. I have the authority to lay it down and I have the authority to take it back up again. This is the charge I've received from my father. And so if Jesus says, I love you, he's not going to just say it, but he's going to do it. That's why John says, don't just say I love you and talk or in word, but say it in deed. And so Jesus says, I will take it back up again. I love you enough, not just to die, but I love you enough to take up my life again. So guess what he did? Three days of being in the grave, the stone that sealed his grave was rolled away. And Jesus, who said, I love you, loved us enough to rise again from the dead and walk out of the grave bodily resurrected. That's love. So when your faith is in Christ, you're saved from the penalty of sin. And so, again, this is why John tells us in verse 18 that love is more than words is is shown through deeds. Jesus proved that love is an action word. We're saved from the penalty of sin because God took action through his son, Jesus Christ. The closing verses. First John 3, 19. Working our way down. By this, we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him, because we keep his commandments, and we do what pleases him. So once we receive Christ as Lord, the Holy Spirit fills us, he guides us, he walks us in the way of Christ, he brings conviction when we sin. However, you know, sometimes we feel so guilty that we condemn ourselves. We put that weight on our shoulders. But John is reminding us as believers to remember the sacrifice, remember the love of God shown through Christ's sacrifice who took the penalty of our sin so we're no longer condemned. We're no longer, so if God doesn't condemn us, why are we condemning ourselves? We should not condemn ourselves 
And so if we can't, if we shouldn't condemn ourselves, and if God doesn't condemn us, we shouldn't condemn others. Because the Holy Spirit convicts us, but he doesn't condemn. If you feel that weight of guilt, that sorrowfulness for your sin, it's because you're full of the Spirit, but you're not condemned, you're convicted. He says in verse 23, verse 24, and this is the commandment, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. And so the father's love is displayed through Christ. He loved us despite of our flaws. He loves us despite of our shortcomings. He loves us and he is patient with us even when we sin. His love was sacrificial through his son, Jesus Christ. And so we are commanded to show that love to others. We are commanded. This is a command. And so how forgiving are you? How patient are you? How kind are you? How friendly are you? How fast do you get angry when someone sins against you? We're commanded to love one another the way Christ loved us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Because you are a God of love. Because of our fallen nature, sometimes we, our view of love is distorted. But we thank you that even based on our distorted view of love, in spite of our sin, you still love us dearly. We thank you that it was ultimately displayed through the sacrificial life and death and resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ. We pray, Lord, that as we go from day to day, the Holy Spirit would let this word burn in our hearts and remind us that we are no longer condemned if our heart belongs to Christ. And so we pray that we would be humble enough not to condemn ourselves, but we would recognize that the punishment, the chastening that comes from the Holy Spirit is strictly conviction. And we also pray that because we're not condemned, we would not condemn others. We would not look down on others, but we would put the needs of others above ourselves, above our own. And that we would put your will above our own fleshly desires. We confess our dependency upon you and we lean on the power of the Holy Spirit to do all these things. Because it's not in our own strength. We thank you for who you are, what you've done, what you're doing, and what you're getting ready to do. It's in Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen.